Um, let's turn to Romans chapter 2. And um, I, uh, God just really began to lay something on my heart that uh, I've never really preached on, you know, as just a specific subject before. Um, but Romans chapter 2, and, and what the Lord really kind of began to place on my heart is, um, you know, how many know that, that as, you know, God is a loving Father, and He wants the best for our lives. And, um, and a part of being fathered, um, how many know there's an element of nurturing, there's an element of love, there's an element of protection, uh, there's an element of provision, but, but how many know to truly be fathered means to be lovingly corrected, amen? And um, outside, um, with, without any type of correction, um, we're not actually, you know, being fathered, you know? And I, and I know, and what's happened to a lot of us is we have experienced so much, you know, maybe condemnation, you know, in church um, or even in a relational setting that we don't respond well to correction. You know, I know myself, you know, my, thank God my mom is free and uh, my, 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 my mom and I, we have a great relationship now. But, but when I was young, <clears throat> my mom used to drink a lot and she'd get really drunk and she'd just rail on me for hours and just correct me, you know, and, um, and basically condemn me. And she was only speaking out of her own place of condemnation because of her experience and her background. She grew up in, in really pretty much almost an abusive Christian home. And so she had a real bad taste in her mouth towards those things. And she was carrying <clears throat> a sense of condemnation. And how I many know when someone's carrying a sense of condemnation, they're either condemning themselves or condemning other people. And what's happening is they have a wound that they don't know how to heal and they don't know how to fix. And so wh while it's present in their heart, It'll just spew out, and this is a gross analogy, but like, like pus or something toxic, and it comes out in words of correction. And when we're dealing with condemnation ourselves, I mean, you know, sometimes we're the hardest on the people that we love, on our spouses, on our children, on our friends. And so for me, you know, my, my scenario was my corrector got broke at a young age. And so if any form of correction tried to come into my life, it immediately felt like condemnation to me because of my past, and I would rebel against it. Well, how many know if you can't correct someone, that's a recipe for disaster? The very nature of a fool is they will not receive correction. The very nature of a wise person is that they love correction. Because how many know that truth by its very nature corrects? Because when truth comes, it says, this is right, all of this is wrong, all of this is wrong, this is right. And, that's, and that is the, the avenue that truth brings freedom because it keeps us out of deception. And so truth comes and it brings correction to, to keep us on the right path so that we can experience goodness in the land of the living. Amen? And uh, how many know we have an enemy? And uh, he's always trying to, to mess us up and trying to rob from us and all of these things. And so we need a loving father who's going to correct us and who's going to guide us into good places and into life. Amen? And so um, correction is a part of what we have with the Lord, but it's always done in a place of graciousness and mercy and love, and true correction from the Lord will never attack your identity. And that's the primary difference between condemnation and correction. Correction comes and says, you know, you are awesome. You are wonderful. You are a blessing. You are good. This behavior, this isn't who you are. And so because you are good and because you are awesome, because this is who you are, um, this behavior is not who you are. So we're going to correct the behavior, but we're not going to attack your identity. What legalism does is in the midst of correction, they actually attack your identity. Well, you're no good. You're just a sinner. What's wrong with you, 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 you? And man, if you drive a stake in someone's heart and attack their identity with correction, um, and what happens is you leave condemnation. Condemnation is a trap, and it ensnares people in a net. People don't change when they're condemned. They hide their sin. They don't change. They just hide their sin. And, and so as people that understand the gospel, we don't want to be those that continue to pass the baton of condemnation that grows larger and larger and ultimately brings a curse and destroys 
Condemnation kills. Amen? And so, man, I feel like my headset's attacking me today, man. I do. I feel like we, we're not, I feel like we're not in agreement. <laughs> I feel like we're not equally yoked, man. Can I have some help? My wife's here so she can help me. Praise God. Yeah, I'll never forget that. Thank you. I need all help I can get. I do, man. I'll never forget that she was out, she wasn't here. And uh, I preach a whole sermon, and I look like I had an 80s bouffant on my head. So you remember it. Like, what's wrong with you people? Why can't y'all tell me that stuff? And so I was like, man, what a great service. And I look at the end, I go, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I preach like this the whole day, man. And nobody told me. Is it still bad? Better? It's, it's running from my coffee breath is what it is. My, my pumpkin spice latte that I had this morning with my pumpkin muffin. Amen. It's that season, right? Um, and so we don't, want, we don't want condemnation. But at the same time, how many of y'all want to be fathered? We need to be fathered, man. It's what, it's what, brings, it's what, what brings victory into our life. So the thing that God began to just minister to me, the highest form of correction is goodness. The highest form of correction is goodness. Now, um, how many of you guys have experienced goodness from God that you did not earn and you did not deserve in the midst of your failure? That right there, that will correct your heart in a way that nothing else can. Um, you know, and correction comes a lot of different ways. Um, you know, there's, there's correction with truth and scripture. Um, there, there's, how many know there's even a school of hard knocks? And we're going to look at that in a little bit too. Um, but I'm here to tell you right now, God is not a punisher. God is not a punisher. God is a corrector because he's concerned about your future. But he's not a punisher. And so... When, when you experience the goodness of God in the midst of your own weakness and failure, it corrects your heart in a way that nothing else can. Because um, what it does is it causes you to fall in love. And it actually woos your heart and brings you into um, a state of trust and submission uh, that nothing else can. And so correction is the highest, the highest form of correction is goodness. Romans chapter 2 and in verse 4 it says, don't despise the riches of his goodness, the forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Now, that word repentance uh, is the word metanoia. Um, I know there's a lot of connotation on the word repentance. And, you know, we, we've developed a culture in the church where we think it's, you know, tears at the altar and emotionalism. It's actually not. It's just simply changing direction. And it's changing direction here in your mind first. You're not going to change your behavior until you change the way you think. And so everything that comes from God is looking to um, change the way you think so that you can see yourself more clearly and see Him more clearly. And so repentance simply means I'm moving, you know, I'm moving in this direction, I repent of that, and now I'm moving in this direction. And, um, and so the goodness of God leads you to change, to good change. Amen? And... It does it in a way, really, that nothing else can because it woos you and causes you to fall in love. Now turn to, to Titus chapter 2, and this is really what God has for us in the new covenant. You know, we see it in the life of Abraham. We look at Abraham's life, and you never see God correct him one time. You never see God reprove him. You never see God discipline him. You never see God punish him. If you look at Abraham's life, and it's a clear picture of what it looks like to live in amazing grace. Abraham was imputed righteousness 430 years before the law. He had no concept of condemnation. And what happened was God just poured out his goodness on Abraham his entire life. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Goodness after goodness after goodness. And it wooed his heart to such a place that Abraham trusted God. And he became the father of our faith. And so that when God actually wanted him to do something, God asked Abraham, probably the greatest thing ever asked of a human being, 
ever. God said, give me your, give me your firstborn child. And he didn't hesitate. Why? Because the goodness of God had taught him to trust God. So much so that in Peter it says that Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Why? Because he had only known goodness. When God asked Abraham to give him Isaac, Abraham knew God's not taking anything from me. God's going to bring something into my life because I've never known a God that took things from me. I've only known a God that has given things to me. And so because there was no measuring stick of legalism, there was no concept of condemnation, the goodness of God led Abraham to trust God more than any man ever had before. And so now when God says, I want Isaac, Abraham saddled his donkey and they headed out. Now how many know God didn't want Isaac? How many know God had a son that he had already prepared? He had a lamb that had already been prepared. But what he did want is he wanted Abraham to trust him. And so what we find in the New Covenant is grace creates an atmosphere of God's unmerited, undeserved favor and goodness that will correct your heart to such a degree, you will fall in love far greater than any legalist who's afraid of the punishment of God. You know, and I'm not discounting the fear of the Lord as being a treasure because it is. The fear of the Lord is a treasure. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It is the beginning of wisdom. And what it is, it's a reverence and it's an awe. And if you look at Jesus, he was quoting Old Testament scripture, but instead of the word fear, he used the word worship. And we know Jesus didn't misquote it. Jesus purposely decided to change the word. Because God's not looking for people that are fearfully scared of him. God wants people invited into a place of reverence and awe and worship. And really what the fear of the Lord really is in a, in a nutshell, it's I don't know how to live this life, you do. Show me how. Lead me, you know? And so, um, but grace creates this higher realm of where the goodness of God corrects us and we fall in love. How many of the prodigal son was corrected with goodness? Amen. How many know Zacchaeus corrected with goodness? God comes to, to Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. Now, how many know he's the least deserving? You know, he, he's a chief sinner. He's a publican, you know, and he, he, um, he was a traitor to his own people, and he was a robber and a thief, and he was the king of them. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. And so Jesus pays him a visit, gives him the goodness of God. Zacchaeus jumps up and repents in the middle of dinner, says, I'll give half my goods to the poor, and I'll restore, you know, to everyone that I took from. Not one word of correction towards his behavior went forth, only goodness. But see, because fear of punishment has the ability to change your outward man for a season. But only the goodness of God can woo your heart. And God's interested in inviting us into a higher level of relationship where it's His goodness that leads us. It's His goodness that changes us. How I many of the scripture says, taste and see the Lord is good? I promise you, the goodness of God will transform you more than the school of hard knocks. Now, not saying that the school of hard knocks won't teach you as well. Amen? And, and we're going to take a look at that. Um, how many know we don't... Anyway, we're not going to get into that. But let's, Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, it makes this very interesting statement about grace. It says, For the grace of God, His unmerited favor and blessing, has come forward for the deliverance from sin and eternal salvation for all mankind. The grace of God, it has trained us. And other translations say, it teaches us. So grace creates an atmosphere where you can be taught... And where you can be trained, and how many know grace is not something we earn, it's just something we receive for free, simply by believing, right? The grace of God has trained us to what? Reject and renounce all ungodliness and worldly passionate desire, to live discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout, spiritual, whole lives in this present world. See, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Because God's goodness comes and says, I'm better to you than what the world can offer you. I know sin looks like it's going to give you pleasure. I know it looks like it's going to give you something. But God's like, my goodness is better than the enemy's fake goodness. Amen? And so grace has this ability to woo the heart. You know, another definition of grace is it is the divine influence upon the heart. Because when you experience goodness, how about the woman caught in the act of adultery? How many you know that she deserved according to the law, punishment, even death. But how many of you know Jesus came bringing goodness? He came bringing goodness to her. 
And, 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 you know, when she's laying there in the dust and the Lord says, neither do I condemn you and your accusers are gone, how I many of that woman's heart was changed more than the fear of punishment? The goodness of God corrected her. Now, he didn't in that moment say what you're doing's okay. And that's the difference between a false message of grace and a true message of grace. Uh, right's still right, wrong's still wrong. Grace comes to set you free from the dominion of sin, not create an environment where you can operate and be dominated by sin. True grace will set you free. And so we never say sin is okay. Scripture lays out what's right and what's wrong. But what we do say is that God's goodness and kindness will actually deliver you from sin and it will cause you to lose a taste for sin. Taste and see the Lord is good. I mean, what the Lord has tastes better than what the world has. You know, it's like quality, you know. But, but, but the world always packages death and makes it look attractive. That's what sin is. It's packaged death. It's got a nice little sheen on it. got a nice little color in it. How I many you know more people are doing it, you know? And the masses are doing it. Well, it must be okay. Everybody's doing it. How I many you know the enemy's always trying to normalize sin? Always trying to normalize it. I mean, the, um, the level of normalization of sin that I've seen in this society in the last 10 years is, is completely astonished me. Like, I regularly am just... It, it feels like we're in a bad movie or something. You know what I'm saying? Like... It's just amazing. So, and, and, you know, and once a sin is normalized, how I many of the enemy is looking to bring another sin up to the table? Another sin up to the table. What is he trying to do? He's trying to prove that man is, not, man is not destined for divinity, but man is just animalistic, and we're nothing more than hairless monkeys. That's what he's always trying to do. He's always trying to mar the image and the creation of God and, and make us just look like animals. And... Um, um, but so true grace will set people free from sin. It will teach you to deny ungodliness. Amen? But here's the beauty of it is, is God never pulls his forgiveness back from you, ever. It always stays present. Amen? Um, and, and, it, and through that goodness, that's how we are changed. And so let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And once again, talking about correction, there's different forms of correction. Now, the goodness of God will correct you in a way that nothing else can, but there are other forms of correction. And, and we see 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so, how I many you know Scripture comes um, to, to correct us? Now, and, and you, you are given your identity first in Christ. I was a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist. I received Jesus. I became the righteousness of God in Christ. How I many you know... Having served the Lord for many years, I'm not more righteous now than the day I got saved. I don't have more of a right to the Lord. Um, everything, I got everything in the beginning. Now, I've been renewing my mind um, to, this, to the reality of who I am in Christ, but you have everything in the beginning. And if you look at the New Testament epistles, it will establish the reality of identity, and then it will move on into what love looks like. How I many you know there's still correction in the New Testament? I mean, there is. Now, it's not for the purpose of justification. Your justification is in Jesus. But it is for the purpose of showing you what love, love looks like. How many other places, New Testament Scripture says, don't steal. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. You know, husband of one wife. You know, and, 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 the, and, you know, and on and on and on and on. And it's, it's showing you this is what love looks like. You know, me as a, a person who was raised in the world, I wasn't raised in church, I didn't really, my concepts of right and wrong weren't real solid. And it took me time to develop just a, a moral compass for what right and wrong was. You know, my first vow was, was to not drink beer for seven days. <laughs> That's my first vow, and I broke it. <laughs> and, and, like, I, the whole concept of, of the marriage bed being undefiled and all of these things, it took time for me to really understand what right, and, what right and wrong was from a biblical sense. But how many know that the Lord's identity was safe inside of me as I learned? Amen. He's not going to take it from you. Amen. I feel like I just lost a bunch. Is it this thing moving again? We just need some duct tape. Duct tape it to the side of my head. No. <laughs> That'd be a quick way to shave. That'd be funny. Jeez. Praise God. It's all good. It's fine. But, um, but truth comes in Scripture, and how I many know that, it, that it, brings, it brings correction, right? 
for your good, not for your bad, right? Like, I, and I'll give you a great example in my own life. Um, our dog has been wearing me out, amen? I think everybody knows it. If you know me, I've been struggling with our dog. And praise God, our dog has, you know, chewed everything and chewed, you know, probably $1,500 worth of stuff and furniture and this and that and all this stuff. And so what's happening is the dog's making me mad, right? And so the dog makes me mad. And so then there's, there's anger in my bosom. And how many know that is going to change the way that I'm a father, the way I'm a husband, the way I'm a friend, and even a pastor? How many know that as, as a believer, my default setting is not anger? Now, anger comes, anger goes, but I'm not called to live in it. And what was happening was the dog making me angry was impacting our lives in a, very, in a negative way. And um, I was living in a state of being upset. And so you know what I needed? Correction. I need the Lord to come to me and correct me and be like, this is not okay. Um, how many know that we, in the kingdom, we're not called to be reactive, we're called to be proactive? And what's happening is this dog was influencing my life more than it should have. This dog was um, robbing me of peace. Amen? And so I, thank God for the Spirit of God and for the Word of God, um, came in and brought a correction in my life. And so we, um, and so <laughs> the onslaught of, anyway, so I bought this gate, right? And so I'm going to buy this gate and put it on our porch so the dog can't get in our sunroom and chew our stuff up, right? And so I'm hyped. I'm like, you know, because it's me against the dog, which is the wrong way to look at it, but that's how I feel at this stage in the game. And so I'm like, ha, 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 one for Jeremiah, zero for the dog. So I put the gate up, and I put it out there, and I let the dog out, and I'm looking at him like, yeah, what you going to chew now, buddy? Which is the wrong way to do it, but I did. And I went inside, and I came back out, and he dug a hole to China right next to the gate. Right next to the gate. And, and, and threw dirt up on the porch and onto the patio and all the things that I'm trying to make nice, the dog just do it. And he's looking at me like, what's up, buddy? <laughs> what's up? Yeah, and so he's like, one for me, zero for you, right? So now I'm mad, and, and so I'm correcting the dog. And, but now I realize, now how many know that Scripture says, be ye angry and sin not? Anger in and of itself is not wrong. Uh, there is a, a righteous indignation that's, that's powerful and good when we take a stand for our rights. But it's not your default setting. How many of you are called to live in peace? And so that day, I sat down with my father, and I let him correct me out of a bad place in my heart. Amen. Lovingly. And so what happened was, the anger came, the anger passed, and then I talked to my wife about it, and I laughed about it. And we were, I said, you know what that dog did? And we laughed. Now what happened was, it didn't ruin my day. It didn't impact my family. And, and I built character and became proactive as opposed to reactive. Are y'all tracking me here? How many know that the same can be true on Facebook or social media? How many know if, if, if social media is robbing you of peace and keeping you in a state of anger, you're doing it wrong? Amen? And, and, and we all laugh because we've all experienced that. But, you know, if, if, if it has the ability to interrupt your marriage and your children and your family and your peace, then you need to step back for a little bit because you don't want to live angry. It's not good for you physically. It's not good for your family. It's not good for your relationships. I mean, there's a lot of anger rolling around these days. Yeah. It's being passed, man. And, and your default setting is peace. And so through the Lord lovingly correcting me and bringing a wholeness into my life, the dog couldn't control me, <laughs> okay? You know, your, your, your family member can't control you. That person on Facebook can't control you. How many people are all about passive-aggressive Facebook post correction? <laughs> I'm just going to post this here, but really, it's for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you almost want to be like, why don't you just go and tag me in? Because I know you're talking about me. I know you are. And so then next thing you know, that person who's working through their own stuff, they got real estate in your mind. And I should be joyfully playing with my children, but I'm thinking about how mad I am at them. Should be, you know, being a good husband to my wife, but I'm mad at them. 
You know, and there I am, mad at them, and Facebook is operating in the back of my mind. How many know if you have too many apps at the same time on your phone, you, your, your, your functionality goes down? The next thing you know, I'm mad, and then someone cuts me off in traffic, and then psh, ignition. Right? How I many know that's no way to live? We are call, we're called to be above that. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So if we go home today and the dog has managed to chew something up, God help him, God love him, he's not going to impact my peace. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Praise God. So, how I many you know, but in order for that to happen, I have to be corrected. Because when, when and, and, and there comes, and here's the thing, this is important. You're not called to be the corrector of your spouse. You are not your spouse's Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, you can correct your children. Amen. But you're not called to correct your spouse. And so, when, when it really, when it really, when the dog chewed up the Chase Lounge, I got super mad. And probably the maddest I've been in several years. I know this sounds crazy, but I was mad. And so, I need God to help me. And so, I went and I sat and I prayed. For a long time. And I was still mad. <laughs> but eventually, the father got into my heart. This dog, who's supposed to be a blessing, is messing your life up. And you need to get it together. Because you know what I almost did? This is crazy. I almost quit on the dog. Gosh, I did. I was like, we are getting rid of this dog. I almost quit. As a, as a child of God, I mean, you know, you're not a quitter. There are things that God's brought into your life that may be difficult and may be challenging, and many times those are relationships. And what we want to do, we kind of, we're operating in, society as a whole is operating in a cancel culture. Like, hey man, if this is too much trouble, cancel it. Don't like it, shut it down. And uh, there are some people that you're not called to cancel out of your life. You're called to walk with them and work through it. Because they're not the only problem. You have a problem too. And see, the issue, it wasn't just the dog's problem. I had a problem. Seriously, I did. Because I was, honestly, I was, I was operating in punishment more than correction. Because I was upset. And God had to teach me out of that. And um, don't, don't, and so I almost quit on the dog. You know what stopped me from quitting on the dog? The Lord. Down here in my heart, I knew we were, as soon as I said, I, we, me and Stacy were having a friendly debate. And, um, and she's like, we should, just, we should just get rid of the dog. And I knew she wasn't saying that because that's what she thought. She was just kind of seeing, showing me where I was at. Amen. Because that's what women do, right? <laughs> They're smarter than us, praise God. And, uh, and I, was like, I was like, well, yeah, that's right. We'll just get rid of the dog. You know, feeling all manly and stuff, you know. And down here, God was like, ah, no, you're not. No, you're not. I gave you that dog. That dog is for your family, you know. So I didn't give up on the dog. And, uh, but there was development that happened in my life. But how I many it happened as a result of correction? See, see, pride will keep you on a track of failure. Pride says, I got it. And then we, 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 hunk, we hunker in and we dig in our heels and we take our willpower and we try to push through, and there's definitely a time to push through, but I'm here to tell you right that there is an unforced rhythm of grace that operates out of peace that will actually carry you through challenges, but grace only operates in your life to the, de to the degree that humility is present. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Fear of the Lord says, I can't do this, you can, show me the way. And grace, grace will only be operative in your life to the level that humility is present. And humility is present only to the degree that you see reality. See, humility is reality. Pride's living in a delusion. How I many of the reality is is we can't do this on our own? Like nothing. And and when you realize that, how I many of the the grace of God will overshadow you, and His strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And how I many you know God can live through you way better than you can on your own with your own willpower? And how I many we get caught up in? Well, I'm right. And they're wrong. And, and it's, you know, the longer I live, the more I realize that's a fig leaf. 
You know what I'm saying? You're trying to hide behind, you're trying to justify yourself. And anytime you're trying to justify yourself and hide behind a fig leaf, you're not embracing your identity in Christ. You're trying to establish your own righteousness in a certain area. Well, I'm right. The Bible says it's honorable for a man to be able to, to, to cover a transgression and walk away. He that is cool in spirit is better than he that rules a city. In other words, when, when I, I mean, we live in a time when, when people are getting offended all the time and getting upset all the time. But if I'm comfortable in who I am in Christ, I don't have to go around proving I'm right all the time. Right. I don't have to do it in my relationships. I don't have to do it in the pulpit. I don't have to do it, period, because my, my, my rightness or my value, my value is not determined by how right I am. My, my value is determined by Jesus Christ. And so it sets me free to admit when I'm wrong. It sets me free not to pridefully try to bulldoze my way through life because sometimes it's just better. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. Amen? It's just not, you know? Um, let's, ha- let's have peace. Let's enjoy our lives. Amen? And, you know, it's, che- it's better to eat cheese and crackers where there's peace than filet mignon where there's strife. Amen? Just is, you know. Y'all ever took a family vacation or something like that and spent all this money, and ain't nobody happy because everybody's fighting. You know what I'm saying? And don't you know? And then it, you feel even more pressured to have fun because you spent all this money. <laughs> We're gonna have fun, dang on it. <laughs> we spent this much money. You will enjoy yourself today. <laughs> then it puts all this pressure, even more pressure, to have fun, whereas. You know, you can be in Disney World miserable, or you could be on your back porch eating cheese and crackers with peace, having the best day of your life. And, but we live in a world where we, 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 we you know, and there's a lot of consumerism, materialism, where we think that our happiness is based on those things, but really it's based on peace. Amen? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And so our Father, He loves us, and, and He wants to bring correction into our lives because He loves us. The highest form of correction is goodness, um, but he will cor- there is correction in other ways. So I want to just talk about that for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. That word chastening sounds really rough in certain translation, relation, translations, but it's actually the word uh, padieth in its 3809 um, in the Strongs, and it means the rearing of a child, training or discipline. It's the same place that we get the word for, uh, what's the name of a, a kid's doctor? Pediatrician, thank you. And so, you know, it's not chastening in the sense of, you know, beating, it's chastening in the sense of, of teaching and, and training. And it says, nor be discouraged when you're, you're rebuked by him, you know. That word rebuke uh, means to expose, to convict, to reprove. For whom, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, to train and to correct. And, and so, uh, the Lord, because He loves us, He doesn't leave us like that. I mean, you know, it's a good thing that I, I come out of that place of anger with the dog. But I wouldn't have come out of that place of anger if I would have stayed saying I'm right. You know what I'm saying? Because like my wife's approach to the dog and my approach is different. You know, my approach is the dog messed up, the dog needs to, to be punished. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not against correction like that. But what's happening was it's not working. It's not working. And, and, and I want... And so I had to humble myself and receive correction to come out of that situation. Now turn to 1 John chapter 4. Because what, really what I really want to begin to address now is this. God's not a punisher. He's a corrector. Amen? And actually, if you are expecting punishment from God, you don't, you're still learning the love of God. You're still allowing that love to develop in your life. Because you know what condemnation is? It's an expectation of punishment. Punishment's different than correction. And what condemnation is, is, you know, I've messed up, and now God is going to punish me. And, and you know, I mean, that's the way a lot of people think. I minister to people online sometimes, and, and, you know, I used to live in that realm. You know, if I didn't give a certain amount, God was going to come get me. You know, if I didn't do this, God was going to come get me. I just had to keep God paid off and keep, you know, so God wouldn't come get me. You know, if I sinned, all of a sudden now I'm disqualified from blessing. I can't be blessed because me and my wife got in an argument. Now I can't be blessed. See, that paradigm puts so much pressure on everything. Here's the thing. You mess up, you can still be blessed. In fact, you were blessed before you messed up. 
You'll be blessed while you mess up, and you'll be blessed after you mess up. God is the initiator of blessing. Under the New Covenant, you're blessed first. And so your failure doesn't discount the blessing of the Lord. In fact, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So God will be good to you in your failure because that's an opportunity for God to correct you with His goodness. Amen. Now, I don't say that to say, let's go be idiots, um, and let's just, and that's the same accusation they based against Paul. They, they said that Paul said, let us do evil that good may come. Paul said, I'm not saying that. But what we are saying is where your failure is present, the grace of God is greater than your failure. But we lived in this paradigm where we were on eggshells all the time. And so now we get an argument. So now I think we've messed the blessing up. Now that makes me even more mad at us because we messed the blessing up. And so now we're in the house trying to just do everything right because we've got to stay blessed because, oh my gosh, we've got to pay bills. We've got to stay healthy, blah, blah, blah. Your Christianity is not transactional. It's, re- it's relational. And so when you, when you remove that pressure of performance away, you have this safety net of God's grace and you actually accidentally walk holier than you ever did in trying so hard. Because you're comfortable, and you know that you're loved, and you know that you're protected, and you know you're not going to be rejected. It's in that place that relationship develops and the blessing of God flows. But we live in a constant state of fear of punishment, and it's actually not what God wants at all. And let's look at it in 1 John 4.18, and I'm reading this out of the Amplified. It says, There's no fear in love, but full-grown... Complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors, expels every trace of fear. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. So what this is saying here, and that word for maturity or perfection in the Greek is the word teleos, and it's where we get our, our word for telescope. You've seen those little collapsible telescopes? Click, 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 click. What, what's in, what God's intention is to love you so strong and so hard that love develops in you so big that the fear of punishment leaves your life. The fear of punishment is really not God's highest place of correction for you, it's His goodness. It's His goodness that will lead you to repentance. It's His goodness that will change you. God, how many know that all the sin of the entirety of humanity, past, present, and future, has been condemned on the body of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago? There's no more punishment for sin from God. Now, sin carries its own punishment. And we're going to talk about that because it does. Sin will punish you for sin, but God won't because God already took care of it. Because if we, if we, if we try to embrace that, process, that thought process or paradigm, we enter into something called double jeopardy. Amen? Either Jesus paid for your sin or you pay for your sin. There's no, there's no in-betweens. And, and unfortunately, we've been taught we need to pay for our sin. We need to pay penance. We need to pay tithe. We need to do all this for our sin. And what ends up happening is we're actually discounting and discrediting the work of the cross. And we're saying, Jesus did an okay job, but I need to complete it. And it's actually very self-righteous for you to think that you need to pay for your sin. We, see, we've been taught it was holy. We've been taught it was honorable. We were foolishly taught. You know, how many know that, that when, when Peter betrayed Jesus by denying him three times, I mean, that was a deep betrayal. I mean, Judas's betrayal was deep as well. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter received forgiveness. Judas tried to pay for his own sin. I mean, there are more differences. But, but do you think that the cross was powerful enough to even take care of Judas's sin? I think so, man. I think Jesus did a great enough job for that to happen. But, but we have whole branches of the church where we're trying to establish our own righteousness and pay for our own sin. And, and what it is, is we're just flailing around in this pit of despair and condemnation, self-righteously inflicting ourselves with pain. And, um, whatever, and, and we were taught it's good and humble and holiness, but it's actually discrediting the cross. Did Jesus do a good job? Yeah. Your sins pay for. Amen? There's no more punishment from God for sin. There's just not. You know? Um, sin's been taken care of. Now, 
sin does carry its own punishment. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But we see here that God's intention is for love to click, 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 grow so big and so strong in you that never does a moment in my life arise where I think a bad circumstance is God punishing me for my mistakes. That is maturity. That's growing up, man. That's becoming skilled in righteousness. Is because if we don't have that reality inside of us, then the enemy is able to think, cause us to think that the bad things that we go through aren't a result of the enemy's attack or just this fallen world. It's because God's punishing us. You know, get a flat tire on the way to church. Well, God's punishing you because you got, you know, you did that. You know, have have a have you know unexpected bill come up. That's God's punishment. And what it does is it develops a paradigm of condemnation that causes you to not move towards God in a place of intimacy, but move away from Him and afar from Him. I mean, that's what happened. As soon as, as, soon as legalism hit the scene, there was immediately distance between God and man. You have to understand the, the, the covenant of Abraham, Abrahamic covenant, which is a grace covenant, was in operation until Mount Sinai. And every time the children of Israel complained, every time they, they, they moaned and they groaned, there was flesh, fresh blessing. Look at it. Before Sinai. They complain, we don't have any meat. Here comes meat. We don't have any water. Here comes water. Every fresh act of disobedience was met with goodness. Until Mount Sinai. And then at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel said, hey, have God tell us what to do. Because we can keep everything that He tells us to do. That's, that's the way that, that it's described in the Hebrew. If you look at the way the Hebrew is set up. And at that point, they rejected grace, and they said, we want to establish our own righteousness. Give us rules. We want to earn your goodness. And at that point, God said, well, you better scoot back. (laughs) Seriously. Like the trumpet sounded, the shaking happened, the smoke happened, and all of a sudden, the relationship with God left a place of grace and entered into a place of legalism to where now I'm in control of God's goodness, and I will be rewarded based on my goodness. And from from Mount Sinai on, grace is gone. Legalism is present, and when they complain, people died. When they moaned, people died. Because they left the goodness covenant, and they entered into their own goodness. Amen. And then from then until Jesus died on the cross, everyone operated under legalism. And all fell short of the glory of God except one. And Jesus Christ kept that old covenant, finished it, nailed it to the cross, and then said, hey, I I will be... I will be the forgiveness for everyone who cannot keep this covenant. And then a new covenant was cut based upon God's goodness and God's grace. And God said, this is the covenant that's actually representative of my heart. I don't want you to have the ability to tie my hands on how good I'm going to be to you. Because i got a goodness so big and so strong that I'm going to overwhelm you. And I'm going to make you fall in love with me. I'm going to show you that I'm better than anything this world has to offer you. If you'll just, un- the new covenant unchains God's hands in goodness, and he can go to the prodigal son, and rather than him being punished, he's blessed. And boy, that prodigal son, when he sits under that type of goodness, where else would you want to be but the Father's house? Where else would you want to be but in his arms and in his hands? And it's, the goodness is so strong and so great, it will make religious people mad. It will, man. Your persecutors won't be the sinners. It'll be the religious people. Elder brother out in the field, how, why is he blessed? He doesn't deserve it. God's like, I know, but I'm good. You know, can't I do what I want with my stuff? I mean, that's pretty much what the Lord said. He said, I'll be good. I'm going to be good because I want to be good. And, and, you know, and, and it's sad because the person that was the farthest from the father was not the prodigal. It was the elder brother laboring in the field. Even though he was in proximity, close, in heart, he was so far away. Because the Father said, all I have is yours. You can have it anytime you want it. But he was too busy trying to earn it, wow. trying to deserve it. Amen? But there's, there's deliverance for, for those folks too. I mean, we used to be those folks. Amen? Yeah. But, but God does not want you to have an expectation of punishment in your life. He does not want that. He is not a punisher. He's a corrector. And um, Now, I want to read something to you. Turn to James chapter 1. And we are going to take a, school, take a look at the school of hard knocks here here momentarily, because there is an element of correction that happens as a result of getting tied up in sin and failure. But I don't want to read this to you. Discipline slash correction and punishment are two different things. Many people use uh, correction and punishment interchangeably, but they are not synonyms. Discipline and punishment are not the same things. Discipline is the practice 
of training someone to behave in accordance with rules or a code of behavior. In other words, correcting you to be on the right path. The word discipline comes from the, the Latin word disciplina, which means teaching, learning, or instruction. To discipline means to teach. To teach is to show and explain how to do something. It focuses on teaching desirable future behavior. To punish is to inflict suffering for past behavior. Punishment doesn't really change people. Correction does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sila, Sila, Sila. The dog taught me that. <laughs> the dog and God together taught me that. Because <laughs> I'm punishing the dog, which is not changing the dog. Amen? Anyway, I'm, I'm quick to air my own laundry. So, amen. James chapter 1. And so, but, but here, there are things that do punish. And how many know you can learn from those things? You can, because I didn't come to Jesus because he was beautiful. I didn't come to Jesus because the church was cool. I didn't come to Jesus for any of those things. I came to Jesus because the hell that I had created on earth was so bad that the only way, I, and I tried everything else, literally. You know, jail couldn't change me. Uh, Stacy couldn't change me. My mom couldn't change me. I couldn't change me. I was like the man of the Gadarenes. I was just a wild man. And, and, but sin and the school of hard knocks beat me up so bad and made my life so miserable, I thought, I'm going to give Jesus a shot. <laughs> because I came to the end of myself in the midst of the punishment that sin provided. Not, not, I mean, it's not real, I mean, I wish it was more noble than that, but it wasn't. I came because I basically had no other place to go. And then I found that he was awesome and he was beautiful and lovely. What did you say? Which, which part? Came to the end of myself. Be I came to the end of myself, be I don't remember exactly how I said it, but because of the hell that I'd created on earth. I mean, sin destroyed me. The punishment, yeah, that's right, thank you. The punishment that I created for myself. I did that. I mean, it was, I created it. And I made my life hell, and I hated myself, and I hated my life. Because, how I many you know, sin will kill you. It'll kill unbelievers, it'll kill believers. It packs death. It's evil. And, um, but the Lord wasn't punishing me, the sin was punishing me. The Lord was my salvation. And that's where the enemy really tries to trick everybody. He tries to make everyone think the Lord's out here punishing everybody. The Lord's sending the hurricane. The Lord's sending this. The Lord's doing that. No, no, sweetheart. Sin is on the earth, and it's carrying death. Sin will punish. Jesus is the way out. He's the salvation. He's the rescue. But we get it, we get it mixed up uh, because the enemy works overtime in trying to mix that up. But James chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, tempt him, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So... Sin carries death. And so, there, and so in, in that it carries death, it brings a form of punishment. And, and, and I'll take it a step further. The goodness of the father with the depravity of the pig pen work together to change the prodigal's heart. Because if you look at the prodigal, he did not come home because of some tremendous revelation. He came home because he's hungry and tired. How I many sin will wear you out, man? Wear you out as a believer? Wear you out as a non-believer? It'll wear you out. And so the pig pen punished him as a result of his own decisions. But the beauty of that parable or that story is the goodness of the father was not veiled by man-made religion. And so if you'll take the goodness of God 
and you'll compare it with the depravity and the death of sin, the goodness of God is more beautiful than sin. The, re- the reason people get caught in the purgatory of, of in-between is the goodness of the Father's veiled. And they think that the Father's the one that put him in the pig pen. Father didn't put him in the pig pen. How I many? He put himself in the pig pen. He, he made the decision. But, but, but the Father um, was ready to receive him and ready to help him. And so, in a sense, there is a school of hard knocks. You know, and I just experienced it here personally with the, with the whole dog situation. I was angry. And I didn't realize how angry I was. And because, and, I mean, you know, anger can't be compartmentalized. Just like fear can't be compartmentalized. See, if you tolerate anger long enough, it'll seep into other areas of your life. If you tolerate fear long enough, it'll seep into other areas of your life. It doesn't stay in a nice, tight, neat little box. And what was happening is my interaction with this dog was, was, was poisoning my heart and bringing me into a state of anger and, and making, making my life not good, you know? And so, like, I'm speaking, you know, and I'm not saying I'm some crazy lunatic I'm by any stretch of the means, but I just wasn't cool to be around, you know what I'm saying? And, and, so, um, and so the misery of the state of anger that I was in led me into a place of running to God to obtain help in time of need. So my failure created a place of weakness and dependency where Jesus could come in and save me. Are y'all tracking me here? And as I let truth run through me, as I let correction run through me, the same scenario happened, but I didn't stay there. And what I see happening in a lot of Christians' lives is everybody's so mad. Everybody's so mad and everybody's so offended. And see... If you're angry with people on social media or in your life and you keep that going, don't think it's not going to affect your marriage. Don't think it's not going to affect your kids. Don't think it's not going to affect your job or your ministry or whatever. And we um it, it it's and so we, we have to we have to um basically just learn from it, you know? And like with our kids, you know, like with with your kids, I mean, I mean you know, we teach them. We don't want them to make the same mistakes that we make. But how many know there's an element of, okay, if you want to do that, go ahead. You know what I'm saying? Because you can only instruct so much. How many know instruction has to be received in order to be enjoyed? And so there are times when we um, have to say, okay, go ahead, buddy. You know? And then we have a skinned knee or we have some bad circumstance. Now, did did I did I produce the skin knee? No. Did I did I push him down in the process? No. But but how I many know oh, that skin knee has the opportunity to teach? Yes. Amen. Because it's like this is not the way, you know. And 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 it, we can see that very clearly with our kids. But how I many know oh, it's pretty evident in our own lives too. I mean, you know, we can hunker down and get in a place of pride where we just don't want to be corrected and we don't want to change. And the Lord's trying to correct us. Can I get an amen? He's trying to bring correction. He'll bring correction uh, from, from messages. He'll bring correction from Scripture. He'll, be, he'll bring corruption, correction by His Spirit. But how I many you know, as a free will uh, created being, I have the ability to refuse all correction and do my own thing. But how many know as I continue to do my own thing, I'm going to a place. <laughs> and in that place is, is um, not good things. And, and those not good things can correct me and bring me back to... See, because how many know, I feel like we're in a continual state of coming to the end of ourselves. That's what, kind of what it's all about. How many of the Lord wants to rescue you basically from everything? And we get in our own strength... And then I get in a rough spot, and I, gotta hum- I need to humble myself and receive grace and come up out of that spot. Are y'all tracking me? But here's the thing. The Lord didn't create that spot. The Lord's, once again, the Lord's not a punisher. Amen? But, but our own decisions carry consequences. You know, and I think one of the things that people misunderstand about grace is we're saying there's no consequences for actions. That's not true, and that's not biblical. There are consequences for your actions. There is a responsibility that we have in our love walk, you know? 
it, you know, if, you know, and I share this all the time, but, you know, if I leave here today and I, and I you know, and I peel out and head down, you know, uh, uh, Main Street, Georgetown, and I'm going 85, 90 miles an hour, how many know Jesus loves me? I mean, I'm forgiven. But how many know I'm about to get corrected? <laughs> and the correction is going to be swift and it's going to be strong. Did it come from the Lord? No, it came from my own decisions. And now even in the midst of the correction, how many of the Lord will rescue you? He'll, say, he'll, he'll show you his goodness even in the midst of it. And every fresh failure is a fresh opportunity for goodness to correct you and cause you to fall in love. As long as you stay in a place of grace. I mean, you know, when we have a part grace and a part legalism, we stay confused. Is, is God correct? Is God punishing me or does God like me? Am I forgiven? Am I not forgiven? See, what grace says is your forgiveness is never going to be taken from you. It's an eternal forgiveness. Your identity is never going to be taken from you. It's an, e- it's an eternal righteousness. But there are still consequences for actions, and there's still responsibility. Can I get an amen? Because what will happen is people will embrace a concept of righteousness and grace, and they'll try to use it to live a life of lasciviousness. And, and what lasciviousness is, is I just do whatever my flesh wants me to do. That will carry you straight into death. Righteous and forgiven. And, it'll, it, it, and, it, and it's a bad place. <clears throat> that doesn't change. Um, but what grace says is, God says, I'll go with you into that place. <laughs> I'll lay down with you. I'll rescue you and I'll pull you out. And my goodness, afresh and anew, will lead you to repentance. Can I get an amen? And so, and the Lord is doing this. Amen? And so, amen. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. The goodness of God leads us to change. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And uh, the, the goodness of God, man, it, it, it is the highest form of correction that we can enjoy. But it's so important to understand, God's not punishing you guys. He's not a punisher. He's a father, and he loves you, and he wants to, to correct you, and, and he wants to lead you into life. Amen? Amen. Does anybody have any comments or statements concerning everything I just shared? Bambi, please. Can we get a mic to Bambi so people can hear online? Ethan, will you throw me that mic? Actually, we just take that mic back to Bambi, please. Thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah, turn it on to you. Um, as I've been corrected in the one area hmm. that I would not give over to the Lordship of God, hmm. as I've been corrected on that, um, I had to allow Him to do it. Yeah. I had to surrender. As I finally did that, I was able to receive so much more of the love that has always, always been there for me. Come on, it's good. And it has flooded me with so much love and respect for him. And then I've been able to look back and see where he was always trying to give that to me. It's good. You know, and he delivered me and rescued me every time I put myself in that pig pen. Yeah. Every single time that I took the control, mm-hmm. I took the reins, and I put myself in those situations, he would rescue me and try to say, my child, that's not for you. Come on, come on. You know? Good. And then when I finally got it, that it was love, that it wasn't kill joy, it wasn't taking my party, it wasn't removing me from anything good, it was taking me from pain. Good. When I saw that it was love, I finally gave it over and said, your will, not mine. It's good. I don't know what I'm doing, apparently. Look at the years and the track record of mess. Sure. And I'm tired of doing this to myself. Yeah. And I'm tired of letting other people affect me in this way. Lord, I give this part of my life over to you. Yeah. It has changed everything. Amen. Every day that I wake up, it's different. I'm not saying that I always wake up in a great mood, but I'm going to tell you what. Nothing takes me back to wanting that life. Well said. Because he has shown me so much love. Yes. And it's because I finally got out of the way. That's I good. surrendered. So I just want to say that, you know, it's it's not to take our, our fun. That's right. It's to show us a life of joy and love that we've never known before. So deep that we fall in love. Yes. That we don't yes. want anything better because there is nothing better. Yes. It was all fake yes. green grass. It yes. wasn't real. Come on, girl. You know? Come on, girl. That's right. <laughs> yes. 
Amen. So I just wanted to share that. That's so good. Goodness wow. of God. That's an wow. example of the goodness of God leading you. Change. And when the goodness of God has overwhelmed you, it's like, it's like a, final, it's a final work in that area. You know, it's like, I've tried everything else, and the Lord is, is better. You know, there's a finality that it brings to Anybody else anything they want to share? Statements, questions? Amen. Okay. Well, I want to pray because I really, I feel like um, there's kind of, I feel like the Lord is like some folks here online are dealing with like a stronghold of pride in a certain area where you're just, you've buckled yourself in and, and you're in a bad spot and uh, you, you really need the Lord to rescue you, but you're still sweating and trying on your own. And, um, and so we just want to pray. So let's pray. Father, we just uh, we lift this up unto you, and uh, Lord, I just thank you for everybody listening, that if there's an area, Lord, we present ourselves to you as your children, just like my kids do, Lord, I thank you. We, we might have some dirt on our forehead, or chocolate on our mouth, or just an area that's trying to, that we need some cleansing on, and uh, Lord, I, we just, we lift it up to you. Lord, is there a place where we're still trying to be Lord? Is there a place where our willpower is trying to press through? Is there an area that we're not letting go in? We're not surrendering in? An area that we're tired in. Tired, tired of spinning our wheels. Lord, I just thank you that right now your kids are invited to surrender that to you and to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God that you may exalt them in due season. Every fresh place of humility is met with a fresh place of overwhelming grace. Right now, we, we just give it to you, Lord. We say, I'm tired. I don't want my yoke. I want the easy, light yoke of Jesus in this specific area of my life. And you may be listening. You might not be done yet. <laughs> you might need a couple more trips around the mountain. And that's okay, too. But this morning, he's knocking and he's saying, look, do you really want to go around this mountain again? Because if you want to go around it, I'll go with you. But there's another way. There's a promised land. There's a place of rest for you in this area of your life. So Lord, by your spirit, I just thank you that you'd bring us into that place of rest, that place of surrender. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's turn to Proverbs. In closing, thank you, Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, just want to continue worshiping the Lord in our giving, amen, and um, there's a, a place in our finances where we just honor God, and, um, and the way that that's done is we just do what He tells us to do, and uh, we allow Him to flow through us in that area. You know, God's a gentleman. He'll never force His way into any area of your life, but you're invited, and when you allow Him to be Lord of an area, there's tremendous blessing that happens because you're trusting Him. And I know this is an area where people have been raped and pillaged and all kinds of horrible things have happened in the name of giving. But um, it doesn't change the fact that there needs to be healing brought into that place. People, the beauty of, 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 um, of understanding grace and, and the new covenant is when you do give, you give because you want to, not because you have to. Uh, not because it's demanded or required of you, but because it's out of a place of relationship. But Proverbs chapter 3 and in verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And, and the way we do that is we just lift it up to Him and we recognize everything we have is His anyway. And then He just we let Him tell us what to do. We allow Him to flow through us. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And, and, and what that means, honestly, God really, He wants to bring abundance into every child of God's life so that 
you can be a storehouse of, of blessing and miracles into someone else's life. Um, God wants to uh, empower us, you know, and he can only do that really if, if we don't have a stingy, self-focused, me, myself, and I heart. You know, in the way that I give it, if I have one person sitting here and I have one person sitting here and I want to get cookies to everybody, I'm going to get cookies to the person I can flow cookies through. I'm not going to give cookies to the person that eats all the cookies. I am the person that eats all the cookies. So this is, this is always a horrible analogy, but, it's, but it's, it's applicable, you know. Amen. But he's going to get it to someone he can flow through. Why? Because he wants to be a blessing to you, but he also wants to be a blessing to people around you. Amen. So anyway, with that, if you need to give an omelet this morning, we'll get one to you. Amen. And we're, we're going to be doing... Oh, and let me, let me just say this. To, if you guys want to give online, you can go to gracepointgeorgetown.com and you guys can, can give online. But we're in the process. We're about to upgrade our camera. We're about to upgrade our our stuff, and so thankful to, to Michael and Casey, and we're about to get high-speed internet. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't even know what kind of celebration that was. But free as a bird. Bro, we've been working on this, this awful satellite internet where if there are four clouds in the sky, we have no signal. And praise God, high-speed internet has come to the country of Georgetown. Yeah, they're going to. They're going to. Late, uh, late fall is when they told us. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. So thankful for that. But we're going to upgrade some stuff and make stuff better. And we're excited about that. So Lord, we just ask you to bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Was it a flyboy play? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, I forgot about that. Amen. Well, praise God. Y'all have a great week. Amen. And uh, God bless you and talk to each other, love on each other. And amen. Spectrum.